in the book of Acts chapter 20. And uh, Paul is on his third missionary journey. Uh, he is, uh, this one's taken him several years to complete. And he's, he's, gonna, he's on the way to come back. But I entitled this Finishing Well. And uh, probably I could entitle everything between here and the end of the book of Acts is Finishing Well. Because Paul has realized on this trip, we'll see just in a few minutes, that Paul realizes he's on the downhill side of his ministry. God has revealed to him through the Holy Spirit that uh, things are not going to go well. And, uh, and that so he, he makes his mind up that I am going to finish well. And in, in 2 Timothy 4... Paul is writing his last letter to his protege, Timothy. And he says these words, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And in the future there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me but to all who have loved his appearing. Amen. Don't you want to be able to say that at the end of your life I have finished well. Because you know the, the race that we run as Christians is a marathon. It's not the sprint. And, the, and quite often marathon, people who run marathons, Michael's one of those guys who used to be. Used, used, someday again. He tell you, you come to a place in the marathon that they call hitting, at the, hit, hitting the wall. And if you don't push through that, you're not going to finish the race. And sometimes in our Christian life, I mean, we have to say, okay, God, it may be hard right now, but I want to finish well so that when I get to heaven and I step through those gates one day, you're going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. So let's look at Acts chapter 20, and we're going to begin in verse 13. And we're going to look at this trip that Paul is making on his way to Jerusalem. So Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 13. But we, ooh, who's this we? Dr. Luke has joined the trip. He's back doing the firsthand uh, eyewitness testimony here. Best kind. But we, going ahead to the ship, set sail for Aos intending there to take Paul on board so that he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Aos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios, and the next day we crossed to Samos, and the following day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was in a hurry to be in Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. 
And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and he called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know that from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord and with all humility, and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testified to me in every city, saying the bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Amen. Amen. Paul on his journey. We've been We've been watching his journey as he traveled. He started out in Antioch and he made it land all the way here to Ephesus. He stayed there. He preached for three years. Now we think, oh, this is just a little short missionary journey. He stopped in Ephesus and preached for three years. He made his way all the way up around over into Macedonia, down into Greece, and now he's on his way back. He's taking the ship. And as he hopscotches along, he said, I didn't want to stop at Ephesus. He had spent three years there. But what was his focus? Jerusalem. I want to be in Jerusalem in time for the Passover. And can you imagine having been the pastor of, at Ephesus for three years? Everybody say, oh, Paul, I want you to come over and have dinner at my house. Uh, Paul, come over here, and I, we want to take you out to ice cream. You know, he, you know when you go back and visit uh, places that, you, that you've ministered, there's all of these people that you have to make a connection to. So Paul says, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stop in Ephesus itself. I want to stop in Miletus, about 30 miles away, and then I'm just going to call the elders. I want the elders to come because... This church is established now, and I want them, I want to give them my last encouragement. My last time I'm going to see them face to face. If it was the last time you would see somebody, what would you tell them? And Paul knew that. The Holy Spirit has said, hey, it's not going to go good for you on the way out of here. When you get to Jerusalem. So what would you tell somebody. If, if you knew it was the last time. One of the most beautiful things. I have ever experienced in my life. Was when my father was dying. And about a week before he died. He called all of the family in. Everything from all of us kids. All the way down to the grands and the greats. 
And every one of us, he gave a blessing. It was amazing. It was precious. I mean, even down to holding the ones that were the newborns that were there, to blessing the ones that were in the womb. We had one of, uh, one of our, our grand, great-grandchildren, one of his great-grandchildren was born on the day that he died. But before he died, he put his hand on, on, uh, her, on Johnny K's stomach and blessed that little baby. Amazing. When you know that it's the last time you're going to see somebody, what would you say to them? Well, Paul, for the Ephesians, he has a couple things to say. The first is, the Ephesians had a good foundation. Remember what I did when I came and preached. I preached the gospel of God's grace. I preached, but not only me, who else was there? Apollos had come along and he had preached to the Ephesians. Aquila and Priscilla had, had shared their faith with the Ephesians. You have a great foundation. And they're going to have a, a future, a great, some great preachers. Paul sends Timothy to come and preach to the Ephesians. And after Timothy comes Oh, this little guy by the name of John the, John the Apostle preaches at Philippi. Can you imagine having one of the apostles? You know, they, they, Paul started the church and John comes to preach. The, the Ephesians had a great foundation. I, I, one of the reasons that we celebrated the 70th anniversary of this church is that we have a great foundation with preachers who came and preached the word of God and, and people got saved under their ministries. And that's one of the reasons we, we never want to just look to the future and say, oh, what's the future? We need to look at our foundation and say, we don't want to leave that foundation. Because unfortunately, when we get to the book of Revelation that David's teaching on, there's going to be a letter to a church called Ephesians, right, David? And what's he going to say to them? They lost their first love. Wow. You had such a great start. The Apostle Paul founded this church. The Apostle John preached there. Timothy, the, the little firebrand of a preacher, this young guy came, said, you had such a great... But you lost your first love. Now God says, listen, turn and go back, repent and get back that first love. And how do you do that? You got to remember where it came from. That's one of the reasons I, I, I encourage everybody to write down your testimony Write it down so you can, you can share it in five to ten minutes. Why? Well, it's important that when people know that you have a personal Jesus, right? This is when I came to Christ. But the other half of it is to remember what that was like. Boy, I remember I got saved when I was 15 years old. In August, we went back to school and oh man, God just lit up the school. There were several of us that had gotten saved over the summer. 
And most of us were, were, were in sports. And we started grabbing our friends in sports. Hey, listen, come on out to my house. We're having an event out there. And we would share Jesus and people were getting saved. I remember those days and I don't want to forget them because God is going to move again and is moving again. He's moving right here in this church. And I'm praying that God is going to continue not to let us forget that first love. But Paul had a little bit different route. The Holy Spirit was sending Paul in a different direction. I mean, it would have been great. Oh, yeah, I'm going to stay here at at Ephesus and I'm going to preach for another two or three years. Get you really established. But the Holy Spirit had said, what? Paul, you're going to go to Jerusalem. And when you get to Jerusalem, it's going to be affliction. And it's going to be, you're going to be bound. You're you're going to get arrested. He doesn't tell him the specifics. But every place that Paul goes, and we're going to talk about that next week. If Paul goes along, people say, oh, don't go to Jerusalem. But Paul says, the Holy Spirit sent me there. I am bound by the Holy Spirit, and I am on my way to Jerusalem. He has to go to Jerusalem. So he starts out with saying, you've had a great foundation. Don't miss that. I've done everything in my power to make sure you were prepared. And then he's going to give him some encouragements and some warnings. So let's look at 25 through 35. Beginning in verse 25. Now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom, oh, excuse me, lost my space there. Uh, Therefore, I testify you to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, elders, to shepherd the church of God, which, I have per- which he purchased with his own blood. And I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves... Men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Remember that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak, 
Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed than to, to, blessed to give than to receive. Paul gives, gives them an account of the blessings and then some warnings. The first blessing he says is remember how valued you are. Did you notice what he said? He said that uh, in verse 28, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Do you realize how valuable you are? The great value that you have? You see, the world will tell you what? You're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not good looking enough. You're not smart enough. You'll never never succeed. But God says what? You're of great value. And he said it in a verse that we a lot of times we 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 just say it because it's it's something we've learned, right? But John 3:16. Do you realize the value that you have in this verse for God so loved and put your name there? You see, sometimes we say the world, yes, God loved the world, but you know what? God loved you and he loved me. And if we would have been the only ones that needed his love, he would have still died on the cross for us. And what did the Father do for us? He sent his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's your value. So don't let anybody tell you you're not enough. Don't let anybody tell you that you have no value because in Jesus Christ you have all the value. He is the Son of God who came to save each and every one of us. And then he says, I got some warnings for you. He talks about some wolves. (laughs) Oh boy. And the first ones he talks about is the wolves that come in. You see, there's wolves on the outside. And they want nothing better than to destroy you, to devour you. What do the wolves do? Anybody ever watch National Geographic? Come on. Yeah, they, they, who do they look for? The weak? The sick? the ones that are out here all by themselves. I mean, it's amazing when you watch, uh, I'm one of those, I I really like watching Natural Geographic. You You see like the little calf elk that's just been born and the wolves smell the afterbirth and they're on their way. They're gonna pick this thing off. And I love to see those big old elk with their antlers get down there and they just tangle with those wolves. You're not getting our kid. And that's what he's saying. Wolves will come in. And your job, our job as elders and our job as fellow Christians is when we see somebody that's lonely, 
when we see somebody that's sitting by themselves, when we see somebody that is struggling, is our job is to come around and say, not on our watch. You're not getting this one. And to take on the devil, that's why we have armor, right? To armor up and surround them and say, no. You can't have this one. So there are wolves that come from the outside. But Paul also mentions about the wolves from the inside. We call them the wolves in sheep's clothing, right? You, got, you remember the old cartoons, right? With the sheep dog, right? You know? And that, that, that wolf tried to get, or coyote tried to get in there every which way possible. Never could. But when they get inside, when they come from inside, and I believe Paul, Paul knew that some of the men that were part of that church were going to get on the inside. And what do they do? They, they, they tear them up. They'll get a hold of them. And you know what a sheep does? The first thing it does is it'll grab them by the throat. You know why they do that? So they can't call out. So they can't, they can't start bleeding, bleating, calling out for help. And then it'll drag them off and destroy them. But from within, Paul said, some, some are going to come and they're going to come in sheep's clothing and they're going to they're going to speak perverse things. They're going to draw away disciples after them. They're going to cause division. And I've watched it happen in many churches. Somebody will come in and, and they'll start with, with a bit of a twisted doctrine. And they'll say, oh, well, everybody who agrees with me, you follow me. Right? When God called us, he didn't call us to follow men. He called us to follow who? To follow him. When people start saying, well, well, who's with me? That's when you need to start running. And you say, well, not me. You need to say, it's time to deal with that. And that's what Paul was telling them. You, you cannot let that sheep and wolves clothing come in and haul off those who will, will follow. But then he says something wonderful. He gives them the warning. Watch out. And, and, and if we look at Revelation, I have to imagine that that's exactly what happened to the Ephesus church at some point in time. They got off track. They left their first love. Whatever that was that caused them to leave that first love, it wasn't following Jesus. And then he says something wonderful. I commend you to God. And that word in the Greek is all-encompassing. See, why did Paul say, I'm not going to be around anymore. I'm not going to see you face to face. He's going to write him a letter later on. He's going to let him know that he's okay. He's going to write letters to Timothy to help him as he pastors this church. But he's never going to see them face to face. He says, I commend you to God. And how encompassing is this? Well, it's, it's the same word that Jesus used on the cross. 
In Luke 23, 46, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The word translated commit here can also be translated commend. And in a lot of, a lot of versions, it is translated, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Paul's using the same term, the same, I am giving you to God to protect, to watch over, to encourage, because I can't be here any longer. It's totally surrendering to God. And he started, I mean, this church was his he had delivered this, this baby church, right? He was invested in it. And he says, I commend you to God. And then he says, and the word of his grace. And I love that. The term grace is used about 130 times, just depends on which version you look at, but about 130 times the word grace is used in the New Testament. Paul uses it 97 times. 97 times Paul talks about grace. And what is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. And you say, well, God's unmerited favor, what does that mean to me? In layman's terms, it's getting what we don't deserve. Getting what we don't deserve. Now, don't get this mixed up with mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Okay? And I've sat in the courtroom too many times and watched as somebody begs for what? The mercy of the court. And sometimes the judge grants it and says, okay, I'm going to give you a lighter sentence. Usually it's followed by a but. If I ever see you in my courtroom again, I will throw the book at you. That's mercy. See, we got mercy... When God says, you know what? You deserve something else. Romans 3.23 says what? For all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And what did we earn by that? Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. It's what we deserved. Because of our sin. It has a penalty. It has a cost. But God showed us mercy by forgiving our sins. But also he showed us grace because look at the last part of that verse. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, that's grace. Grace is I don't deserve heaven. Do I deserve to spend my life in heaven? No. But God says, I'm going to give you grace. And in Romans 3, 24, 
which we quite often don't, quote, being justified as a gift of, of his what? Grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. You know, some people will look at you and say, you're a fool for believing in Jesus. Okay. <laughs> but one of these days, when God says either we're out of here through the rapture, or I die and I go to heaven, I'm going to say, okay. Are you looking? I'd rather be a fool for Jesus than spend eternity in hell. Because you see, God has saved me. I mean, when we were singing that song, he rescued me. You know, God picked me up. He knew where I could have been, where I probably should have been by the world's standards. And he said, I'm going to take you out of all of that. Well... He gives, them, he gives them the word of grace. This morning, as most of you came in, if you came in through the back lot, you saw three young kids huddled under a blanket. It's real easy to say, oh, that's disturbing. We don't want to see that. Go on your way. Instead, a blanket came out and some hot cups of coffee came out and the ability to use the restroom. Common human dignity. Because the reality is, is all of these verses apply to them as much as it applies to us. And one of these days, I pray that they're going to not just sit outside the church, but one of these days they're going to come and they're going to sit right there in that back pew and they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're going to come to know him. Well, Paul finishes with be givers. Be givers. He talks about how while he was there, he worked while he was there. He, he, he took care of his own needs and the folks that were with him. And then he says, and Jesus said that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And, and when we get that, when we can realize you'll never outgive God, it's just a joy to be able to say, okay, God, here we go. I'm giving this to you. We're, we're getting ready for when we do our Christmas, Operation Christmas Child, not, not less than two months from now. This year, we're going to give, we're going to send 600 boxes this year. 600 boxes from this little church are going to go around the world and every, gospel, every box will have the gospel in it. What a little, little piece that we have. And here's, here's the thing, folks. When we get to heaven, 
This is what I believe when we get to heaven. Because we're going to be there for eternity, right? We got all the time in the world for Jesus to say, oh, hey, I want, to, I want you to meet this little boy from Guatemala. He got saved with your shoebox. I want to meet you this kid from Ethiopia, this, this child that got his out in the middle of the African desert, this child that from the mountains of, of uh, the Himalayas. He got the box from Eastside. She got the box, and, and then their families got saved, and then there was a little church started in this village, and the village got saved. I looked so much forward to seeing that, because we can never give God. And while giving our money is important, listen to what Paul said about the, to the Corinthians. For I testify that according to their ability, and he's talking about the churches from Macedonia. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. And this is not as we expected, and listen to this, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. You see, while God loves taking our money and, and taking it around the world and seeing all the great things that it does, God wants us to say, we're the living sacrifice. We come to you and we give ourselves so that everything we do is followed by Jesus. Well, he ends with verse 36 to 38. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. They began to weep aloud and to embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him and grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they were accompanying him to the ship. Prayer. Paul, and, and, and I just, when you look at the, if you close your eyes and look at the vision of this, they're on the seashore. They're ready to get on the ship. And there on the beach, Paul kneels down and they all kneel around him says they were kissing him because they, because they were going to miss him. They were grieving and they prayed together. You know, yesterday it was such an awesome time praying with not only people from our church, but people from churches around the valley. And I, I, I'll tell you, I, when I pray, my hanky, <laughs> it gets wet. And yesterday, it was soaking wet by the end because we were praying for churches to see revival, for, for people, to, for our community to be awakened to, to their need for the gospel. We were praying for churches that were saying, we, we, we need people, we're dying we're, we're, it's, a, it's a matter of time before we close the doors. 
and we were praying for some of these folks that were just saying, help us as we reach out. And how important that is. And Paul prayed. They prayed for these people. He prayed. They prayed for him as they grieved. Right now, I'm going to pray over our congregation. I want you to do something. We don't do this very often. I want you to get up out of your seats. And I want you to come across the aisle. I want you to hold hands. Just, it'll just take a second. Just come, slide, just slide across the aisle. Just everybody hold hands. There we go. We'll make it. Hunter, help out. Get, hop in the middle here. You got long arms. There you go. There you go. Our Heavenly Father, I pray now for this congregation. I pray as Jesus prayed that we would be one, that the world would know us by our love for one another, that it would know us by our love. I pray for each need that's out here today, people who are suffering, people who need healing physically, people who need healing emotionally, people who need healing spiritually. I pray that you would draw us together that we would be one as you are one. And Lord, I just pray that you would just bless everyone here. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.